All right. <clears throat> Amen. That's awesome. <clears throat> that is awesome. Hey, guys, how is everybody? Another beautiful day. Another beautiful day. My uh, people keep asking me, Rick, how could you leave California? Well, let me tell you. About three days ago, I called my son, and I think it was like 80, 85 degrees here, breezy, beautiful. My son said, Dad, do you know what my car thermometer's registering? He said, no. He said, 113. I got to tell you, I am thanking God for being here. I thank God every time I look out my window. Amen. And I love you all. I appreciate you all being here. And I tell you, every time I look out my window and I see green grass, I'm like, what is that? That's beautiful, guys. I just absolutely love being here. Hey, guys, um, Labor Day is the day we set aside to honor the kind of the American labor movement. And not just the labor movement, but the workers across the United States who have made this country great, a country of prosperity. And that prosperity for America has been born out of hard-working men and women just like you. And, and this holiday is all about you. So I want to pray for you. But also, it's, it's, it's a hurricane prayer day, National Hurricane Prayer Day. So I want to pray for those people that are hurting. Let me start with that. Father, we love you and worship you and praise you. And God, what a joy it is to be here, God. What a joy it is to be right here in Evansville, Newburgh. Uh, Father, just you have blessed me beyond words. And I pray that you would continue to bless this church and these people. We love you. We are dedicated to leading others to Christ. I pray for the people, the families that have been devastated by this hurricane, God, that you would be the source of relief, the source of power, that you would use God's people to, to meet the needs, and God, that they would come out stronger. Father, just like Job at the end, that they would even have twice as much as they lost. Bless those people, God. Love them. Pick them up and hug them today. Holy Spirit, come. I desperately need you. It's not what I have to say. It's, it's your words, Lord God. Let me, let me not see anything, anything that is not flowing directly from the Holy Spirit. For I ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Now, here's my question for us today, Crossroads. We are, we are definitely a nation of hard workers. But how hard are we working to look just like Jesus? And how successful is our labor? Do we kind of feel like, well, I've accepted Christ, I come to church, that's about it, the rest is on God? How hard are you working, am I working at looking just like Jesus? Because if we're not getting all that God has for us right here and now, it might be because we're not working for all that God has for us. So I kind of have a twofold goal this morning. I want us to get you excited to live in such a way that God cannot help but pour out his blessings all over you. And the second is that you might have a plan in mind to make that happen. I understand that several of you work many hours on your jobs and on your families. You work hard to feed your loved ones. In fact, some of you are in desperate need of a three-day weekend. But I would bet for most of you it's not a three-day weekend at all. I know that more than a few of you are working almost too much. Some of you have sacrificed much of life to get the education needed to do what you wanted to do. A lot of us understand you got to start at the bottom before you even get close to the top. I've heard that an overnight success takes about 15 to 20 years. I also want to give a shout out to students from junior high through high school. Make no mistake, that is a full-time job. I would not go back to high school or junior high for any amount of money. Guys, that is a full-time job. A lot of us realize that if we want to advance in life, we must work hard at working hard. We are laborers. 
But how hard are we working at looking just like Jesus? Because if you're not getting all that God has for you, an abundant life, and I'm not talking about a stress-free life. I'm not talking about a life that has no ups and downs. There are trials and tribulations for sure. But sometimes you almost can't tell it in the life of the believer. There's so much joy. There's so much love. If we're not getting all that we have, maybe it's because we're not working for all that God has. Christianity, Christianity can be very hard work. We want to be successful. And if we're smart, we have outlined a path to get where we want to go. Often when I'm counseling a younger person or even an older person, I will say to them, hey, let's, let's get there, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me a one-year goal and, and three steps to get to that one-year goal. And then I want a three- or a five-year goal because statistically, you have a 75% more chance of su- success if you write down where you want to be. Writing out a plan drastically increases your ability to accomplish it. In fact, and I often say, if you can't tell me your plan, then you don't have a plan. If you walk up to me today out in the hallway and you say, Rick, I'm going to lose 50 pounds by next year. And I say, fantastic, how are you going to do that? And you say, I don't know, you're not going to lose 50 pounds by next year. you got to have some plan in place. So here's my question this morning. What is your plan or my plan to becoming a successful Christian? What are steps we should be taking towards a rich life in Christ? Well, even if you already have a plan, I'd, I'd like to throw out a few suggestions for us today. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the, of the New Testament. God just spoke through Paul, used his life in dramatic, dramatic, drastic ways. Paul wrote this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. And then Paul says this really weird thing. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Another version says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I I would put number one on our list of success in Christianity is that you and I, we need to begin to work hard. It's not easy. Sometimes the Christian way is not easy. It goes against the grain of what we want to do. We find ourselves in situations where I want to do just the opposite. But I've got to do it God's way. I love the contrast of these verses in Philippians. Scripture is just so cool. Paul tells us to work hard to show the results of our salvation. It's within us if we know Christ. We are saved And if we are saved, we are called to allow what's inside of us to come outside of us. I often say that the task of becoming a Christian is is a moment. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's, Lord, the best I know how I believe you love me and died on the cross to pay for my sins. I want that payment. I acknowledge you as my Savior and Lord. Uh, uh, The task of a moment. Looking, looking like the Christian is the task of a lifetime. We must allow love and peace and good deeds to flow through us and to pour out onto anyone who comes near us. I mean, we are to look like Jesus. When I open my mouth, it ought to be to be gracious and kind and loving. I'm always, always for my wife, for my family, for my children, we have this picture of a funnel God pour into me so that it spills out all over everybody else. And as we're doing that, God is working in us and through us. He's giving us the desire and the ability to change, to become the man or woman that God 
has always meant us to be. It's a collision, if you will, that calls for our active participation. It, it is our faith that saves us. But it is our submission to God that allows God to use us and transform us. Let me say that again. It is our faith that saves us, but it is our submission to God that allows God to use us and to transform us. Now, let me clearly state this. Paul's not talking about working for salvation. After Paul, after all, Paul's the one who penned these words in Galatians chapter 2. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. God isn't going to curse me this week because I had a really rough week last week, said some things I shouldn't have said, did some. He's not going to do that. that that's, we're not saved by faith. Or we're, rather, I'm sorry, we are saved by faith. Let's edit that out. We're not saved by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. We're saved by faith. Paul is talking about you and me personally deciding that we're going to actively seek to look like Jesus. I am going to put the manpower in, the woman power in. I'm going to put the work in to walk successfully and to do Christianity in the right way. And that's hard. We get sidetracked. We get personal. We get bitter. We get ugly. We want to do life our way. And that's not Christianity. And that's not working. That's easy. But it's not right. I tell people all the time, you know, when I'm counseling kids about getting a job, I say, you want to be promoted faster than anybody else in your job? Work 10% better. I don't care if you're working at Burger King and they tell you to wash the dishes. Wash the dishes, then wipe down the counter. They tell you to wipe down the counter, wipe down the counter and sweep the floor. Whatever you do in life, wherever you are, you want to be really successful, do 10% better. I wonder how many of us are doing 10% more. The second step in our walk towards successful Christianity is this, respect the boss. And by the way, these will work in any situation, but respect the boss as God being your Lord and Savior. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. Paul said, or James said this rather, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God. And God will come close to you. You see that it's this, this interaction, this if-then. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Does your heart need to be purified this morning? As your Lord? He said, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I want and I don't have. It isn't the way I want it to be, so I'm angry, so I'm going to lash out. That's not working hard. I must decide that I will humble myself before God and allow him to be the Lord of my life. Not just see him as my savior. I, you, Monday nights, you know, we would have 30 to 60 kids on a given night eating in our house. And we would dig into the word of God back in Simi Valley. And I noticed one guy, CJ, would come in. He'd come in about two or three times, two or three weeks in a row. And then right when, and I would, when we would start digging into the word of God, I noticed CJ wasn't there. So about the third week, he's walking out the door after just eating. And I said, dude, where are you going? Why eight? I'm done. Thanks for, thanks for feeding me, pastor. I'll see you later. I go, bro, what about digging into the word of God? What about learning more about Jesus? And he said, you gave me all the Jesus I need. I prayed. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't need any more Jesus. I said, bro, that's not the way it works. I said, we dig into the word of God. You draw closer. God begins to bless you because I don't need God to bless me. I got a new girlfriend. He literally said that to me. <laughs> Man, she must have been something. I 
said, buddy, I said, I said, I, I really, I got really afraid for him. And I said, because I get afraid for people. I get afraid for people. I get afraid for some of you guys. I got afraid because he was mocking God. And I said, I said, CJ, you can't, you can't look at it that way. I said, you're mocking God. No, I'm not. I don't need any more God. Walked out the door. I'm not lying. I got a DUI for being high that night. Had his parents take his truck away from him. Got fired from his job. And his girlfriend left him the next day. Apparently, he needed a little more than his girlfriend. Don't mock God. Draw close to God. Work hard at your salvation. Not to be saved, but because you're saved. Submitting to God is saying, you're my boss, you're the one who calls the shots. I, 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 I'm, I'm, all that I am is, is yours. I, I lay my body on your, on your altar as a personal sacrifice. I'm going to do life your way, God, no matter how hard, and that's my choice. Listen, I'm going to make a statement, and, and I want to tell you before I dig into this, it is not my intention ever to offend, but I've said this before. I will not tell you the word of God says something if it doesn't. But I will not tell you that it doesn't say something if it does. So I'm going to make a statement you not, might not like to hear, but before you cast stones, kind of hear me out. If you're feeling it being a good Christian man or woman, it is 100% your decision and 100% your fault. If God cannot bring me or you all that he has for us, it is 100% our fault. I've done a lot of pastoral counseling for people struggling with many things, especially addictions over the past four or five years. And you may not agree with this, but I usually start out by saying, if you're a failure in life, it's your fault. Addicted to drugs because you chose to do drugs. You're in jail because you chose to stole, steal. You stole a car. You lost your family. If you lost your family because you were abusive, that's 100% on you. If you lost your job because you couldn't control your anger, that's on you. If you're held back from advancing because you chose to drop out of school or not go back to work, that's you. If you're filled with bitterness at someone, it's because you refuse to look like Jesus and to forgive and to restore. Perhaps that seems mean. You say, Rick, why would you say that? Well, here are a couple things I've heard over the last few years. I can't be a good guy because my dad was abusive. I can't forgive because I was so hurt or so wrong. Or you can't blame me for drinking because my mom's an alcoholic. Well, in the long run, they are giving themselves permission to fail because someone or something failed them. And all that does is perpetuate their misery and allow them to give up. I want to take the, that permission to fail away from them so that they can see success as a legitimate option. Let me say that again. I want to take the permission to fail away so that they can see success as a legitimate option. I will, I will not allow them to accept failure as their only choice. My dad died when I was 18 months old, and we had little resources or little money in our home. Rather than accept brokenness and poverty, it drove me to be a father to the fatherless, to help those in need no matter what the circumstances. I literally am so motivated by that. I'm 55, and I'm still motivated by that. When I see some young man who doesn't have a dad, and, and I, it could be as little as, as, as he doesn't have the, the shoes that somebody else has. My family and I will often step in and get it for him because it, to me it's like, it's not fair. My son was able to get him because he had a dad. Why shouldn't he be able to get him because he doesn't have a dad? I want them to understand that they're loved and beautiful and amazing people. That motivates me. 
that cripples me. My mom worked all her life and was never able to even finish high school. That was part of my drive to achieve a master's in education. I, choose, I chose to use failure as a platform for success. If you and I will submit to God as the ruler of our lives, and he will come close to us. And he and I can begin a road towards success that cannot be hindered. Which leads me to our next point in our road to success. Don't, don't make excuses. If you're acting like a fool, stop it. If you're being bitter and raging, knock it off. Well, you don't understand. I, I don't need to understand. I have the word of God. I have Christ in my life. Don't make excuses. A hard life does not have to become a failed life. But it easily can. Anyone who gives all they have to God can find peace and joy in it. Maybe, maybe life didn't give you all it should have. Perhaps things haven't been going your way. Perhaps you've always had very little. Maybe your life has been plagued with poor health. But that is no excuse not to work hard and not to succeed. I'm going to give you a couple of Christian examples. Nick Wojcik. Nick Wojcik is an Australian Christian evangelist and motivational speaker. I've had the privilege of meeting Nick a couple of times. The last time I saw Nick was at a mall in, in California. Believe it or not, he was getting his hair cut. Nick was born in with Tetra Amelia syndrome, and it's a rare disorder characterized by the absence of arms and legs. All Nick has is that little foot that you can barely see, and they put him on a table when he speaks, and he hops around that table, and your only fear is, oh my gosh, he's going to fall off. <laughs> he's one of only seven other people in the world born that way and lived. He has no arms and no legs, but he travels the world telling people about the love of Christ. And when you meet Nick, he pours out love on you. I mean, you don't have to be with him for 30 seconds, and you're like, Jesus is all over this guy. My son heard him speak at chapel one day and came home and said, Dad, it made me cry to think that this guy could be so in love with Jesus despite his handicap. Dad, I want to love God the way he loves God. How about, how about David Ring? I've had the privilege and the pleasure of hearing David speak a few times. David is a, David is a motivational speaker who was born with cerebral palsy. I remember the first time I heard him speak and he said, I can't even say Jesus, but I can worship and praise his name. His father died of cancer when he was 14 years old. His mother then died four months later. And he believed that his mom was the only person in life that ever loved him. At 14 years of age, David found himself an orphan. And over the next three years, he would attempt suicide several times. But through his sister, he met Jesus Christ when he was 17 years old. And not only did he make God his Savior, but he made him the Lord of his life. David returned to high school, went on to graduate college. And over his career, he has spoken all over the world to hundreds of thousands of people, leading thousands and thousands to Christ. David is famous for saying, I have cerebral palsy. I can't even say, Gee, I serve the Lord with all that is within me. What's your excuse? Help me keep going. I know it be hard, may be hard to hear, but I say to you again, if you and I are feeling it being men or women of God that we are called to be, then it is our fault. It is simply a matter of a poor work ethic. And you are keeping God from giving you all that he has for you in this life. And perhaps even in the life to come. And folks, let me, let, me, let me say this to you. It's not worth it. Stop. Stop. Well, let me add this into our world towards a greater life in Christ and in this world. In order to be successful in Christ, we must follow the rules exactly. I, I look for a better way to say that, but I couldn't find a clearer way. 
Many of us hate to be told to follow the rules. We see rules more as a suggestion or guidelines. If, if a rule is too binding or doesn't make sense, then we tend to make up our own rules, which explains why the state of California sent me a letter saying I was one of the worst drivers on the road, which I think is really judgmental of them. <laughs> and while I'm on this subject, may I please say to you precious Indiana people that driving five or ten miles under the speed limit does not make you righteous. And I believe in this country, green means go. Those are just a, those are just a couple of, of, of thoughts that I have for you. Uh, really, though, really, green means go. You're allowed. Um, follow the rules. Follow the rules exactly. We want all that God has for us, and we got to do it His way. And let me say something mind blowing. That's where the real fun and the real blessings and the real freedom begins. I know it sounds crazy. I'm telling you to get underneath the authority of God, and then, and then that's where the fun is. That's where freedom is. Freedom is almost always found there, always underneath the umbrella of authority. When, 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 but when you begin to get underneath God and you begin to do life his way, the world just works. It just works. Joshua was Moses' general. Joshua was the one who took the people into the promised land and conquered it for, to, to, to give God's people space and a place to live. And, and when Joshua was about to go into the promised land, there were a lot of giants and big bad people in there. And, and he was going to go conquer it and take it. Joshua was a little worried. And God, God himself said these words to Joshua. Joshua 1 verse 8. Study the book of instruction continually. Just get into the word of God every day. We talked about that recently. Just get into the Word of God every day. Meditate on it. We talked about that. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Obey everything. Follow the rules exactly. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. The good news is, folks, the really good news is there are only two rules. I like that. I like bullets. I like simplicity. Do this. This dot and that dot. When you get that dot, you're done. You're done. There's only two bullets. Two bullet points. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. I, I, get, I get stalled with that. The second is equally important. How can loving people be as important as loving God? But Jesus himself said it. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. There's only two rules, love God and love people. But in order to get all that God has for you, you have to obey those two rules completely. There's no exceptions. You're, you're not exempt. Yeah, but, uh, there's no buts. Let's look at a very practical example from the word of God, Galatians chapter five. For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. 
beware of destroying one another. I was at a Starbucks, that shouldn't surprise you. I was at a Starbucks and this Christian brother came up to me and he goes, he goes, Rick, he goes, I was in a gym. In fact, it was Bob's gym. And he goes, and there was a woman on the treadmill on the phone and she was saying for everybody to hear, I, I'm so mad at Crossroads Christian Church. They did this and they did that and they did that. That is pure, unadulterated evil. What if somebody next to her was about to come to church and find Jesus? How about if she had spent her time praying for and loving on that person and wanting to lead them to Christ? That's backbiting and devouring and destructive. And whether you like it or not, I will not say something isn't sin, that it's sin. That is sin. That's the reality of what Paul is talking about. Let me read it again. But the whole law, Paul takes it down to one. It's summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Sometimes Christianity is getting over the moving on. Sometimes Christianity is who can I lead to Jesus? Who can I love in the name of Christ? Who can I pour out on? Who can I be generous to? Who can I be gracious to? Not, oh gosh, look what happened to me. Paul was sawn in half. Peter was crucified upside down. James was stoned. John was boiled in oil. I don't think they're really concerned about what happened to me. Often we say we believe all the scriptures is true, but in all honesty, we feel like our particular circumstances, we're allowed to tear somebody down. After all, they deserve it. Well, they hurt others so I can hurt them. I don't have, the, I don't have to forgive because I'm right. By the way, most of the time you're not or you're not. No matter how much we think we are, and that's just the truth, and that's not working hard at respecting God or following the rules. That is keeping God from blessing you, and it scares me. And giving you all that he has for you, and it's your fault. And if I do it, it's my fault. As I was prepping this message, I was in the back last night, and I was praying for it, and just like God, he brought a name to my mind. A guy lives in Simi Valley, and as soon as that name came up, I thought, I don't like that guy. I don't like that guy, God. Let me tell you what that guy did, God. That guy is if God doesn't know. Let me tell you what that guy did, God. That guy really, for a while, gave us a bad name in one particular church. He actually, for a time, this church stopped our support. And God, and you know what God said to me? Rick, I put my arms around that guy every day and hug him and love him. And I can't wait to see him. He is so beautiful and so precious. So I had to text him. I told last night's crew I would text him, and I texted him right before I walked out this morning because <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to. I want to egg his house, but that's not what I did. <laughs> I, said, I said, brother, I'm legitimately praying for you this morning, and I'm praying that God gives you a blessed life. Forgiveness becomes a matter of determination and, yes, hard work. 
It's getting over it and moving on so that you can advance the kingdom and lead people to Jesus because that's what you're called to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I can't find anywhere where it says go into all the neighborhoods and whine. I looked for it. It's not there. So stop it. And I'll stop bad-mouthing that guy in California. Just stop. Just love your neighbor like you love God. It's not working hard. It becomes a matter of believing the forgiveness and in forgiveness, I open myself up to God's blessing. Bitter people often become very ugly people, bent on destruction, and that steals their joy. And oftentimes, they don't even see it. I wonder what Paul meant in Ephesians chapter 4. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all other types of evil behavior. Now, I know that a lot of people say, well, you can interpret Scripture any way you want to. Well, help me interpret get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. I think it means get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. That's what I think it means. What if we just got up and led our neighbors to Jesus? What if that was our ultimate concern? What if we just said, God, fill in the spaces with that guy that lives next door because, man, he needs Jesus. And that plagued you and kept you up at night. But you're angry at injustice. Nobody cares. Move on. Listen, I, I tell my kids this all the time. I tell my kids in Simi Valley. I say, you know what? You have a hard story. And I'm so sorry, and I'll pray for you, and I love you. But you live in bitterness and anger, and you live in self-destruction. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be late to work. You're coming high. You're going to have all the excuses in the world, and your boss is going to feel really sorry for you, but he's still going to fire you because he needs somebody to get the job done. I'm so sorry that that's – and I will tell these kids this, and I'm talking about brutal, brutal stories. And you know what I say to them? time to give that to God. Get over it and move on. Don't be arrested in time. People get arrested. They get, they get locked into something that happened to them years ago and they can't move on. Lay it at Christ's feet and press on and do what you need to do to be successful. And you say, Rick, that's hard work. Absolutely. Do it. Because what you'll get paid back Paul said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Slander is saying something that destroys. And, and, you know, you may want to meet with me out back and say, Rick, blah, blah, blah. And I will, I will not say one word that isn't a biblical quote. How about let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edification, that it may minister grace to the hearers. How about that? How about Jesus dying on the cross and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. How about that? Christianity is hard work. It's just one example of the Bible means. If right now you're sitting here and you can think of someone that makes you furious, thinking of that person steals your joy, then your anger and your loss of joy is your fault. I've seen bitterness ruin close relationships, families, and even churches. And let me be very, very practical if you've been offended and the way you've dealt with it is by rallying like-minded people around you to raise your voice or you're loud out in the community so other people maybe can, that is in direct rebellion to this verse and several other passages in God's word. It's sin. You can say, no, it's not. Yes, it is. You can say, that offends me. You're still wrong. You can say, I don't like that. Of course you don't. Because sin brings 
conviction and self-condemnation. And if you're working hard at looking like Jesus and you're called to put away harsh words, slander, and all forms of anger, we are called to forgive and to move on. That's not easy, but it's right. We are called to go out into all the world. Jesus said go into all the world and lead them to Christ. Baptize them and teach them. What if we had just really rallied around that and said, God, that's hard work, but that's what I'm going to do. Somebody asked me recently, do you know all your neighbor's names? I said, no, but my wife does. (laughs) Sometimes she's so busy looking like Jesus, it hinders my daily work. But she'll tell you, no, that lady lives by herself. She's got this. This guy does this. He works at that job. She is out looking to lead people to Jesus. That's working hard for Christ. Allow me to add just one more thing to our list. We must work willingly. All that forgiveness, all that love, all that witnessing, all that pouring out, that's got to be willingly. That's got to be God. I choose to do that. As I was prepping for this message, my son called me and we had a great conversation about my birthday. This was a couple weeks ago. Yes, I start early in preparation. And my son called me and said, Dad, how was your birthday? How's life going in Indiana? I told him I love Indiana. I look out the window, it's green. I love coming here. The people are loving and gracious and kind. And it's often the case when it came time to let him go, I said, hey, buddy, can I pray for you? I say it all the time. And he always says, of course, Dad. Well, I didn't simply pray God bless Josh and all that he does. That's my heart's desire, but that's not what I prayed. Here's what I pray almost every time. I pray, God, help Josh to fall deeply in love with you and who you are. I prayed that he would tell God that he was willing to go wherever and do whatever God wanted him to do. Why did I pray that? Because that is where my son will find blessings and peace in his life. I, I could pray God bless him, but me asking God to help Josh fall deeply in love with him is asking God to bless him. Me asking God to help Josh's heart be just bent towards God, I'll go wherever and do whatever you want, is praying that God will bless him. I want my son to work hard at displaying his salvation. I don't want it to be something he simply is, but something that he does. I want it to be something that he shouts from the rooftops. I want his love for Christ and his obedience to Jesus to be outstanding because I know when that happens, I know that God will use him and bless him and pour out the storehouses of heaven upon him. And that is my prayer for you all. That is my legitimate concern and love for you all. So what does it mean to look like Jesus? How can I open myself all that God has for me? Well, I can work hard. I can respect the boss. I can stop making excuses. I got to follow the rules exactly and I got to work willingly. My prayer is that we will work hard so that he can pour out the storehouses of heaven so that we can play hard. My heart's desire is always that we not endure life, but that we enjoy life. Father, we love you and worship and praise you, God. There is truth in the word that convicts, that bends, that sometimes God even contorts, makes us uncomfortable, but I will not cease to preach the truth. I love you, and I worship, and I praise you, and I pray a blessing on these people. I pray that they would love you and worship you. I pray, God, that they would fulfill the first commandment, which is to love you with all their hearts, their souls, their minds, their bodies. And I pray that they would fulfill the second commandment, which is to love others that same way with that same intensity.